seat. And if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to the book of John, we're going to be in John chapter 14 together today. This is what it says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you with me and you will be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know, Philip, even after all that I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I have spoke to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I... I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask of me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me and will obey my teaching, my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you this before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So I have two more Sundays here until I take my sabbatical over the summer. And once I do, Zoe's going to be kicking off a sermon series looking at the book of Ruth together over the next month or so. But at this time that we find ourselves in after Easter, a time where the disciples once again walked with the risen Jesus, Jesus gave them a command, we see in the book of Acts, to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon them, where they are going to receive power, and they're going to be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. And with that in mind, this morning, what I want us to do is ask the question over the course of these next couple of weeks, who is the Holy Spirit? And what does a life empowered by the Holy Spirit actually look like? Because I don't know about you, but for me, in my Christian walk up until this point, what I have experienced as a Christian is not enough. I don't want to be part of a club. Jesus didn't come to form a club because the fact of the matter is we outgrow clubs. When you were little, maybe you were part of the boys' brigade or the girls' brigade or you were part of the scouts, but you're not part of those things anymore. Why? Because we outgrow these things. We enjoy clubs for a season, but then we get to the point where we say, this club has fulfilled its purpose in my life, and I have outgrown it, and I need more than it can offer me. You know what? Sometimes the church is treated a little bit like a club. People join and are part of that club for a season, but ultimately being part of the club never quite gets to the core of their issues. And eventually people say, well, you know what, I enjoyed that for a season, but actually what I want is something more. And all that can be left at times in the club are the diehard members of that club who have been there since the year dot, wondering why people are no longer joining their club anymore. Jesus did not come to start a club, but to raise an army. The world that we live in is messed up, it's broken, and it needs something more. And he has called and he has commissioned his church to do something about it. In reality, it never matters how good the club is. Unless we are people who fall madly and totally and utterly in love with Jesus, we'll never be the people that God has called us to be and do the things that God wants us to do. And with that in mind, I want us to think about this chapter that we've read together this morning in John chapter 14. Jesus has been with his disciples for about three years up until this point. He has walked with them, he has talked with them, he has laughed with them, they've cried together. They've seen Jesus perform some of his greatest miracles. 
They were truly and madly in love with Jesus. And then in chapter 13, he drops a bombshell on them. I'm leaving you. Where I'm going, you cannot follow. Can you imagine what the disciples must have been going through at this point? Some of you don't have to imagine because you've been in this very position that the disciples were in. People that you have shared life with, one day find out the news that they're not going to be with you for much longer. That their time left on earth is short. The disciples would have been devastated. They would have been scared. They would have not known where to turn. That's the context that Jesus speaks these words that we've read together in John chapter 14 this morning when he tells his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he comforts his disciples by telling them, okay, I'm leaving you right now, but I'm going to the Father to prepare a place for you. This imagery would have resonated with the disciples because when a man and a woman got engaged in biblical times, the man would often go away to prepare a place for himself and his future bride. So the man would go away, get everything ready, and then come back for his bride and take his bride with him. So what Jesus is saying here is, guys, I'm going. I know this is going to be tough for you to take. I know that you cannot fully understand what is going on. But what I want you to understand is what is going to happen is a good thing. By leaving you at this point, I am not being cruel. But I'm preparing the way for something much greater and much better for you. Thomas insists. However, Jesus... We don't know where you are going, and we don't know the way. And then Jesus gives his conclusive I am statement. If you were with us during COVID, you, know, you might remember we spent some time looking at the book of John together and looking at some of these I am statements that Jesus makes. He makes some very specific statements about who he is and what he came to do. He said things like, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. And here, with his disciples in a panic, not really sure where Jesus is going, not really sure what is going on, thinking, how on earth are we going to cope? He tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is concluding by telling his disciples, guys, I am about to die for you. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Your job is to simply keep following me. Keep your eyes fixed upon me. Keep doing the things that I have told you to do. And then we read these words in verse 12 together. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Wow. What a verse of Scripture this actually is. So not only does Jesus say to his disciples, you don't need to worry because I'm going to my Father and I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I will still hear you. This seeming separation that there now is between us is not the end, but actually it's only the beginning. In fact, you can ask anything in my name and I will hear you and I will do what you ask in my name. Does that not blow you away? 
And to top it all off, Jesus then tells his disciples that they will do greater things than he did. What does Jesus mean when he says, you will do greater things than me? Well, if we want to look at a more literal translation of verse 12, what we see is that Jesus is saying, everyone who believes in me will do the works that I do. What, What is Jesus talking about? Some have pointed it to the fact that Jesus is referring to his miracles at this point. Jesus healed the sick, he cleansed the leper, he raised people from the dead. Some have looked at this verse and they've said, well, Jesus is saying here that you are going to go and do likewise. Others have suggested that Jesus is referring to the missionary activity of his disciples, that they would go out with boldness and they would proclaim the gospel to the entire world and see many people come to faith. Some have suggested that the greater works that Jesus is talking about here are a result of a deeper understanding of God through the cross and therefore a deeper union with him. I want to suggest this morning that actually it encompasses all three. The God that we worship is the same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead. The God that we worship is the same Jesus who gave the blind their sight, who cast out demons, who set people free, and he is still doing that today. And that, God says to a bunch of ordinary, messed up people, let's face it, with a whole load of issues, I'm going to use you. You are my plan A. Plymouth is full of people who are heading for a lost eternity. And guess what, Hope Baptist Church? You are going to be the people who change that and make the situation different. And in doing so, I'm going to give you a deeper understanding of who I am. Call to me, the Lord says, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And then he gives the ultimate encouragement in verse 16. He says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, and before long the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. When Jesus leaves the earth, he says, guys, Here's the best part. I'm going to send you someone else. Can you imagine what it would have been like for the disciples? You've been with Jesus for three years, and you're facing this devastating news that he is going. But then he promises, I'm going to send you someone else. And in doing so, what Jesus is not saying here is, I'm going to send you a different leader. If we were to look at this verse in the Greek, what we see is that Jesus is telling his disciples that he is going to send another who is just like him, the Holy Spirit. And as we get into this little mini-series on the Holy Spirit over the next couple of weeks, this teaching will blow your mind. In John 14 alone, we've already come across Jesus saying to his disciples that if they've seen him, they've seen the Father. 
And now Jesus is telling his disciples that he is going to send them another one who will be with the disciples and be their counselor. I thought we worshipped one God. I don't get this. The Bible teaches us that there is one God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are those separate yet one. And at the start of this mini-series that we're going to look at together, we need to acknowledge the fact that actually we don't completely get it and we don't completely understand it because God is far above our understanding and our comprehension. Our tiny, finite minds cannot fully contain who God is. But what we do know about God is what he has revealed to himself through his word and through his son. And when we think about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we need to admit that we don't fully understand this doctrine either. People have come up with all kinds of weird and wacky theologies on the Holy Spirit. But what I want us to do this morning is simply focus on what the Bible has revealed to us about the Holy Spirit. And I want us to be blown away by the truths of Scripture. Because as we start to focus on who God is, and we allow our eyes to be open to what God has revealed about himself through his words, it's totally and utterly life-changing. You see, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to send another counselor who will be with them forever. But here's what's different. Jesus says, you will know him because he will live with you and he will be in you. So before, Jesus is walking around with these guys, but now he tells them, this is going to be different, because now the counsellor, the one that I send you, won't just walk with you, but he'll live inside you. What does that mean to you, I wonder? Maybe it's a teaching you picked up when you were at Sunday school, Jesus lives in my heart, but it's so much more than that. It will blow your mind and blow you away when we realise what we're talking about here, the God who created everything. He comes and he takes up residence in you. So on the outside in life, all kinds of things might be happening, all kinds of turmoil that you might be facing. The world that we live in looks so messed up. But on the inside, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God lives within us and takes up residence within us. Jesus is telling his disciples here, I am going away. Not only am I going, though, to prepare a place for you, not only can you still talk to me whenever you want and I will hear you, but the counselor, the one that I am sending to you, will live in you. That's where the comment that Jesus makes about these greater things comes from. Now, Jesus is saying, you have me to pray to up in heaven, and I'm going to send another one just like me, who won't just walk alongside you, but will be with you always. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit over the course of the next couple of weeks, what I want us to understand is, is that the purpose of these messages is not for us to come to the end of it and say, yes, finally, I've got the doctrine of the Holy Spirit all worked out. Now I can give a complete answer to anyone who asks me about these things. Because let me tell you, you will never get to that phase. My hope is that we realize a little bit more about who he is and about what he does and allow that to transform us because that is the key. When we think about the early church, for example, when we think about those messages from the book of Acts, the early chapters in the book of Acts, what we see is an ordinary group of radical people who 
go out and eventually change the world. And it wasn't because of all of that they knew about the power of the Holy Spirit. What happens in the book of Acts did not come about because those people were sitting in an upper room doing a Bible study on the Holy Spirit. You know, so often the church gets bogged down in theory that it misses what God actually wants to do among us. You know, I heard a pastor at a conference once say, when I came to faith, I was so excited about Jesus. I started reading the Bible and seeing all these amazing things in there. So I went to my pastor and I said to my pastor, Pastor, when are we going to start doing the stuff? And the pastor said, what stuff are you talking about? And he said, you know, going out on the streets and praying for people to be healed, telling people about Jesus and seeing their lives change, seeing Jesus do miracles in this day and age. Oh, no, 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 said the pastor. You've misunderstood. We don't do the stuff. We study it. Now, let me tell you, church, we are not going to be a church which merely studies the words. We are going to be a church that puts what we study into practice. The early church didn't have a clue what was going to happen when Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. But they did exactly what they were told. They sat together, they prayed, and they waited. They had no clue about the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Bible in the same way that we have the Bible today. So the success of the early church was not based upon knowledge. But what they knew about the Holy Spirit, they really believed. And that's what I pray comes out of these messages as we look at it together over the course of these weeks. You may already have some knowledge about the Holy Spirit. Probably you have more knowledge about the Holy Spirit than the early church did. But let me ask you this, have you actually experienced him lately? I'm guessing there may be some among us or watching online who haven't experienced the Holy Spirit for a long, long time. Maybe there are some here who've never experienced the Holy Spirit. Maybe there are some people among us today who are so desperate for a touch from the Holy Spirit in their lives. Maybe there are some here who feel they're battling to keep their heads when it comes to faith above water, and it feels like they're holding on for a dear life and holding on by a thread. Let me tell you, church, this is not how Jesus wants you to live. He said, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. Jesus, in this very passage, is telling his disciples not to be afraid because he is going to prepare a place for them. And he is sending someone who is going to come and live with them and live inside them to encourage them, to help them, to be there when the going gets tough. Let me tell you, church, you never have to be alone. Are you experiencing that in your own walk with Jesus at the moment? Let me tell you, I struggle at times. Leading this church that I love is hard work at times. Throw in a very energetic family into that mix, and sometimes I feel incredibly stressed. And usually it's at the point where I've taken my eyes off of Jesus, that's when things really get tough. And in the midst of it, Jesus says to me, Luke, Life might be tough at times, but it doesn't have to be insurmountable because you have the counselor, the Holy Spirit living in you so that when life is rough, you can still experience God's abundance in your life because of the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the helper, the comforter, the one who transforms you from the inside 
And then we read these verses in verses 25 uh, onwards. All that I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus reminds them again that the Holy Spirit will not only be their counselor, not only be their helper, he won't merely be their comforter, but he will also be their teacher. And then we read a little bit further on in the Gospel of John, in John 15, 26, these words, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So who is the Holy Spirit? He lives within us. He counsels us. He comforts us. He teaches us. And he testifies about God. Isn't that encouraging? That means that for us as Christians, that salvation, the onus of salvation, is not on us. It's him who saves. It's him who performs miracles. It's him who convicts people of their sin. It's him who points people to the Father. What he calls us to do is to be obedient to wherever God might be sending us, be open to being used for his glory. But maybe the most fascinating teaching on the Holy Spirit is found in John 16 and verse 7, when we read this. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can no longer see me. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Have you ever thought, I wonder, has it ever crossed your mind that it would be so much easier to be a follower of Jesus in the time where Jesus physically lived on this earth? It would be so much easier to be around the disciples because we could walk with Jesus and we could talk with Jesus and be around him 24-7. I know I've thought thoughts like that in the past. Well, here, what we see is Jesus flips that idea on its head. And he says to the disciples, it's for your benefit that I'm going away. It's for your benefit that I'm going to prepare this place for you. Do you believe, I wonder today, that what we have is better than what the disciples had? Because that's what Jesus tells us. Verse 13 tells us that he will guide us into all truth. Verse 14 tells us that he will bring glory to God. The fact of the matter is, church, it's not about what you do. It's not about what you know. But it's all about him living in us guiding us, comforting us, changing us, transforming us to be more like his son and bringing glory to God through us. Jesus didn't leave his disciples as orphans, but he sent them another, someone who was just like Jesus, so that through them, the world might know that there is a God in heaven who changes lives. So in closing... Our first glance at the Holy Spirit. Who is he? What do we see? He is God. 
is someone who is sent by Jesus, who is like Jesus, who lives within us. He is our helper. He is our counselor. He is our encourager. He is our teacher. He is our convictor. He is the one who glorifies God. And I want to pray this morning. I don't really know what's going to happen over the course of the next couple of weeks, but I really want to allow some space here in this place for God to move in people's lives. We're going to pray that God fills people with the Holy Spirit. Some of you, when you hear things like that, might begin to feel slightly uncomfortable. Maybe that idea makes you feel a little bit uneasy because you come from quite a conservative background when it comes to theology. Let me tell you something this morning, church. We're not going to do anything crazy. We're not going to hype anything up. We're not going to do anything which is unbiblical or unscriptural. We're just going to wait on the Holy Spirit, just as they did in the book of Acts, ask God to fill us, and see what he does and how he touches people. You know, when people meet with the Holy Spirit, for some people there are some physical outworkings to that. For some people, it's just an incredible sense of peace, that peace at which we heard about, that the Bible describes as the peace which surpasses all understanding. For others, when we meet with God in this way, it can bring about an emotional release. You may find yourself crying as God begins to deal with some issues in your life. For others, there might be a bit more of a physical outworking of that, where you might start to shake in his presence, or that the gifts of the Spirit begin to be birthed in your life, or you might end up with a tongue or a word of knowledge or something like that. For others, it can result in physical healing. For others, there might be no sign whatsoever. But you know what we do know about it, God and the Holy Spirit through Scripture? That God is a good God. And whatever he does is always for our good. He'll never do anything to harm us. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able. And we're going to pray together and wait on the Lord this morning. So if you want to stand, please do at this point. This isn't going to be a time for open prayer at this point in time. It's not going to be a time for sharing. I'm going to ask the band to come and get prepared and get ready in a moment. And what I'd like us to do this morning is to simply be open to what God might want to do among us. You know, so often I believe we come to church because of ritual and routine. We don't really give it a second thought. It's just something that we do on a Sunday. Maybe we come and we sit for a service and we, we get one or two things out of it, but we don't necessarily expect to meet with God. I don't believe that's what God wants. God didn't come to form a club, but he came to raise an army. And I believe this morning God wants to meet with his people. Why wouldn't he? If what we believe in Scripture is true, why wouldn't he want to come and meet with his people today? I truly and I genuinely believe that God wants to prepare us for what he is calling us to do. There is a harvest in this city which is ripe to be reaped. God loves Plymouth. The Bible tells us that it is not his will that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of Christ Jesus. And guess what? He wants to use you, little old you, in the context that you find yourself in, wherever you are at, for his good and his glory. 
I want to finish with some words of Jesus. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. But as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. Is anyone thirsty here this morning, I wonder? Is anyone thirsty for God in this place? Because Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And for a moment, we're going to wait in the silence. and Just wait on the Holy Spirit. And this morning, it might be helpful, as we've said in the past, to just adopt a posture of being willing to receive. And the easiest way to do that is just to hold your hands out in front of you. You don't have to, but for some, that, that might be helpful. Holy Spirit, we love you. Lord Jesus, we love you. Will you open hearts in this place today? Maybe there are some hearts that have grown cold and cynical over the years because of the knocks that they have taken and the disappointments that they have faced. But Lord, will you melt hearts in this place? Come, Holy Spirit, right now. going to rush from this moment but my encouragement to you in the silence is if you're thirsty tell the Lord and ask for a drink this morning Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence in this place.
moment, we're going to sing and we're going to worship. I just wonder if there are some people in this place today who are just in this moment, just getting a sense that God is drawing close to you. As we sing, if that's true, I want to invite you just to come to the front and our prayer team would pray for you for more of his blessing on your life. I also want to pray for people who are desperate for more of the Lord in their life this morning. So if you're here and you, you're desperate for a touch from him to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you forward as well. Our prayer team will pray for you. And thirdly, I'd like to pray for some people who know in their heart of hearts this morning that their heart has grown cold and it's grown a bit numb. God wants to meet with you this morning. But if either of those three things apply for you, you could just get a sense that God is meeting with you right now in this place. I want to encourage you forward to receive some prayer and allow God to do what he is doing. You're here and you're desperate to meet with God today. You need a touch from him. I want to invite you forward as well. Maybe thirdly, the bravest one, if you know your heart is cold, and you've grown cynical, come forward and to receive a fresh touch from him. You know, when we invite times of ministry, so often we can be so British, can't we, and go, well, I'm not going to move. But if what we believe about the Holy Spirit is true, the question is, why wouldn't you receive ministry this morning?